The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors. And a very good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Another round of Ask the Medical Expert, Jay Oliver here. Each and every week, we dive into the Great Peconic Bay Medical Center on what makes it work with the various uh, experts in their respective fields. And uh, very happy to uh, bring in Dr. Roddy Owen of GI, inflammatory bowel disease, and uh, nice enough to be a participant uh, on today's program. Uh, Dr. Owen, great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Pleasure. Give us a little detail about yourself and what you do as a uh, gastroenterologist over at the Peconic Bay Medical Center, my friend. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, I was actually born and raised in Lebanon. Uh, It's where I live most of my life. Uh, I'm currently a gastroenterologist at Peconic Bay Medical Center. I joined there uh, earlier in December. Uh, Before that, I was in Chicago. I did an inflammatory bowel disease. Uh, subspecialty training. It's one of the subspecialties in gastroenterology. So as a gastroenterologist at Peconic Bay Medical Center, uh, I do a lot of outpatient work, see patients with various gastrointestinal complaints in clinic, but I also do endoscopies. So for people who require diagnostic tests, for any reasons, we need to look inside the colon, inside the gastrointestinal tract uh, to diagnose various gastrointestinal disorders, but also to screen for colon cancers and for colonic polyps. Uh, I also do a lot of inpatient work for patients who are admitted to the hospital who have some gastrointestinal emergencies or gastrointestinal complaints. I evaluate these patients, too. Excellent. Dr. Ronnie, I'm with us. Uh, Doc, give us an idea. You know, we've all, we've all heard the verbiage uh, as far as gastroenterology. If you can give us a definition of that, that would be great. Go ahead. Sure. So uh, gastroenterology is actually the study of disorders that involve the gastrointestinal tract. So that's actually the digestive tube, which includes the esophagus, the stomach, the small intestines, and the large intestine, also known as the colon, but also some other organs that are also involved in digestion, but also have other functions, which are the liver, the gallbladder, and the pancreas. So as gastroenterologists, we see various disorders most common disorders maybe that we see are one is known as irritable bowel syndrome or IBS, uh, which is actually patients present, presenting with uh, abdominal pain that's sometimes associated with some change in their bowel habits like diarrhea or constipation. Uh, one other common disorder that we see is uh, gastroesophageal reflux disease, which is reflux of acid content from the stomach into the esophagus, which causes sometimes heartburn. People would feel some heartburn sensation, uh, especially after eating. Uh, but it's a quite large field uh, that addresses disorders in different digestive organs. Excellent. Dr. Rani, I'm with us talking uh, gastroenterology, ladies and gentlemen, Pecani Bay Medical Center. Now, you specialize in the training, as you mentioned, inflammatory bowel disease. Uh, give us a little more detail, doctor, regarding IBD. Sure. So, inflammatory bowel disease, also known as IBD, it actually it's not uncommon. It involves maybe 1% to 2% of the population in the United States. Uh, there are two known inflammatory bowel disease disorders. One is known as Crohn's disease, and the other one is known as ulcerative colitis. These are two sides, actually, of the same coin. Each 
one of these diseases have its own characteristics. But what happens in both diseases is there's a chronic inflammation that happens in the gastrointestinal tract. We don't know why that happens exactly, uh, but we know a great deal about, about it. We know that there, are, there is a genetic predisposition to that. There are some factors in the environment that affect the incidence of inflammatory bowel disease. One of them is smoking. And uh, we know that there are some factors related to the bacteria constitution uh, in our gut. We call it the bacterial microbiome. We know that the more diverse the bacteria are in our gut, the less likely we are to develop inflammatory bowel disease. But the end point is that our immune cells are actually attacking the gastrointestinal tract, and that's causing a chronic inflammation. Uh, it tends to be a chronic disease. It's usually diagnosed at a young age. People with IBD are usually diagnosed between the age of 20 to 40, but it can happen at any age. And if it's left untreated, it really affects the quality of life of individuals, and it sometimes can lead to some complications. If, there's, if the colon is involved and patients have a chronic inflammation in the colon, sometimes that can progress and people can end up having complications and need to have their colon removed. Sometimes if the small intestines are involved, some people would require surgeries for intestinal obstructions if the disease is uh, left untreated. Um, give us an idea regarding uh, symptoms, doctor. Uh, what types do patients experience with IBD? Sure. So uh, it, it mostly depends on what areas of the gastrointestinal tract are involved by the disease. So for ulcerative colitis, for example, it tends to involve only the colon. And people who have ulcerative colitis tend to present with a bloody diarrhea. So that's diarrhea with stools having blood in it. Sometimes they would pass just blood out of the rectum. So that's probably the most common symptom for people who have ulcerative colitis. Another common symptom is rectal urgencies. So people would feel like they need to go to the bathroom right away, and they can't hold themselves sometimes for like five minutes, ten minutes. They just need to go to the bathroom, and sometimes they're unable to make it on time. Uh, depending also on what areas are involved, some people would develop a chronic diarrhea that's not necessarily bloody. They would have diarrhea which would just stay there, unlike when they have a gastroenteritis with a resolved diarrhea, they just have a chronic diarrhea. And some people can present with abdominal pain. Sometimes they are admitted to the hospital with a bowel obstruction, and we figure out that it's related to Crohn's disease. Gotcha. Talking with Dr. Ronnie. I'm from the McConaughey Bay Medical Center. Gastroenterology, ladies and gentlemen, that's the key focus on as the medical experts. Um, as far as the treatment options available, doctor, for someone who's diagnosed with IBD, what would be some of the key ones? Yeah, so uh, it mostly depends on how severe the disease is. So actually we look at two things when we evaluate patients with inflammatory bowel disease. How bad is the disease? How severe are the symptoms? And how bad do things look on objective findings like on endoscopy? But we also want to know what's the risk of, having, of people having complications because of their disease. So if patients have a mild disease or they have a low risk of progression of their disease, sometimes we use a very simple forms of treatment, like one of the known treatments are mesen, which is one of the treatments used for a mild to moderate ulcerative colitis. That's just an oral medication that's also available in the forms of suppositories or enemas, depending on the location that's really involved in the colon. Uh, it tends to be a very effective treatment with a very, a very good safety profile. 
Now, for patients who have more of a moderate to severe disease, uh, this is where we have many new options that are now available. Uh, we call most of these agents biologic agents, but we now have novel oral medications that are not really biologics. So uh, there are diff many different options for treatment that come in different forms. Some of those are oral, some of those are subcutaneous, some, some of those are IV, and they come with different efficacy and safety profiles uh, depending on the setting of uh, and the indication for their use. Gotcha. Talking with Dr. Ronnie M, gastroenterology. Pecani Bay Medical Center. Um, Doc, no two patients I would expect would be the same. How do you work with individuals to determine yeah, exactly. what treatment method is actually the best for them? Yeah, that's a very important question. So when we talk about IBD and treatments of IBD, uh, different treatment options have their different characteristics, and some patients would value certain things more than uh, others. So we want to make sure that when we, want, when we treat IBD, we want to make sure that our goal, actually, our endpoint is for people to have a normal quality of life, and we want to make sure that disease stays in remission. But uh, we have different forms of treatment. Some people would value, actually, uh, uh, would value a, a treatment that's really efficacious. Some people would actually don't want to avoid, they want to avoid any side effects from treatments. Uh, they have a fear of uh, certain specific side effects. Some people would value convenience. They just don't want to go to the hospital or to an infusion center and get IV medications every now and then. They just want something that's easier for use, like an oral medication or a subcutaneous medication. So when we talk about these different treatment options in IBD, uh, we, we, we do a shared, uh, a shared decision-making with the patient. We want to see what the patient values in terms of endpoint of treatment and in terms of what they would prefer in terms of uh, treatment options. Doc, uh, that uh, ends our first part of the conversation. Fascinating. Gastroenterology, ladies and gentlemen, the key uh, topic on Ask Medical Experts uh, today with Dr. Ronnie Amp at Bay Medical Center. And we will chat more after these messages. As medical experts, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Jay Oliver here each and every week, a perspective, different one, as far as what is in store for the Great Peconic Bay Medical Center, one of the finer hospitals uh, ever on Long Island and around the country as well. Dr. Ronnie Out is our guest uh, today. As far as gastroenterology is uh, concerned, let's pick up, Doc, as far as what can people do to maintain you know, it's all about good intestinal health, sir, I would think. What could uh, people do to maintain that type of health? Sure. Uh, that's a great question, actually. Uh, so it happens to be Colon Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, 
uh, in March. So uh, when we talk about intestinal health, we want to talk about preventive strategies that we do to prevent certain diseases from happening. And one of them is actually colorectal cancer. Uh, so colorectal cancer tends to be a very silent disease. And some people who have colorectal cancer do not have any symptoms. And we have actually ways to prevent that from happening. And we usually recommend for everyone, actually, who are above the age of 45, actually to have a screening colonoscopy. And the reason for that is during the colonoscopy, of course, we're looking if patients have cancer, but the main reason we're doing that is to look and see if there's any precursor to cancer, which are usually polyps, which are like small mushroom outgrowths inside the colon. And these polyps can be removed during endoscopy, and that can prevent actually the development of colon cancer. So almost all colon cancers come from polyps that can grow in size after sometimes five years, 10 years, sometimes more, and become cancer. And taking these polyps is actually a very uh, important step to prevent colon cancer from happening. So I would say the number one thing to maintain intestinal health is to seek care and uh, actually perform a screening colonoscopy at the age of 45. Of course, if patients have first-degree relatives who have colon cancer, they might need sooner uh, colonoscopies. Uh, maybe something else is actually seeking care early if people have symptoms. Uh, there are some alarming symptoms for which we need to know about and actually investigate more. Uh, and these are people with, who are having some significant weight loss, which can be sometimes a presenting factor of some of the gastrointestinal cancers. Another thing is actually having bleeding, gastrointestinal bleeding, which actually presents as having blood in the stools or actually dark black stools, which is usually secondary to digested blood. So either blood in the stool or dark black stools, that's another alarming feature. And having actually some change in the bowel habits. So for people who are, I would say, about the age of 30 or 40, who have an abrupt change in their uh, bowel habits, this is another alarming feature that can sometimes be the first symptom of uh, colon cancer. Uh, yeah. Well, Dr. Ranian uh, is uh, with us. You know, Doc, we talk about good intestinal health. You bring up Colon Cancer Awareness Month in play, and of course, a study released just days ago. Somewhat surprising. Even those under age 55, there is an alar alarming rate now diagnoses I'm talking about regarding colorectal cancer. Uh, you know, in years past, obviously, the colonoscopy was recommended for those at a certain age over. And, of course, study comes out in which you would think those at uh, 60, 65 would be uh, more in tune with those diagnoses. Now it's the younger generation. Your estimation, uh, what has caused that? type of alarming uh, type situation to come into play here and uh and uh, what uh, what do you think uh, that uh, hopefully the message will be sent do you think it'll be sent in a positive way where people get checked even at younger ages now yeah it's a great point actually so uh it's true that we're seeing an increased risk of uh increased incidence actually of colon cancer specifically in middle-aged individuals, and that's what led to a change in the recommendations regarding the start of the screening uh, uh, screening age for colon cancer. So that used to be at the age of 50, but in the past two years, it's been, 
being shifted, and the American College of Gastroenterology, the ACG, have issued a recommendation to start the screening process at the age of 45. And the reason is an increased risk of colon cancer among younger individuals. We don't know why that hap- that's happening exactly. Uh, one of the factors might be actually uh, some changes in diet. So we know that the incidence has been on the rise mostly in developed countries. Uh, we know that there might be some factors related to the bacterial constitution of our guts, the bacterial microbiome. Um, but this is something that is still preventable. So actually, uh, for people who have colonoscopies earlier on, we are able to detect polyps before they become cancer and taking those out before um, people are actually before people develop colon, colon cancer. So that's uh, that's why this. Uh, screening recommendation has changed. Well, uh, no question. What about diet? You know, I was thinking about this when this came out uh, a couple of days ago. What about diet? You know, we're all so prone to eating on the run. There's so many choices, not great choices either. Fast food pretty much in every corner. Uh, And we know uh, plenty of uh, preservatives, uh, high fats, sugars, and everything else. You know, it's not the greatest of dietary needs. But again, on the run and a quick fix, what about uh, uh, the foods that are now out there for all of us? you think that has led uh, to these types of situations regarding young people? Yeah, um, it's hard to know exactly. It's hard to know for sure. There's definitely association with... Um, so when you talk about diet, uh, there are many factors to consider. So for colon cancer specifically, there are some types of... Uh, food which have a low association with colon cancer and with having colonic polyps. One of them is actually high consumption of red meat. So so people who have a higher consumption of red meat have a higher chance to develop colon polyps, which can, with time, progress to colon cancer. So that's one of the risk factors. Uh, actually, also, uh, a diet which leads to more metabolic syndrome or lead to more, like, for people, for people who develop obesity, these people also have a higher risk to develop colon cancer with time, so that's another thing to be aware of. Uh, we're not sure what exactly in diet. Uh, maybe there are some stuff that we still don't know, don't know about that can really lead to colon cancer. What we advocate for in general is a healthy diet, and what that is is actually, as my mentor used to call it, everything you can kill or pick, so it's actually fresh food try to limit consumption of processed food. Interesting. Dr. Ronnie Allen, Gastroenterology, Peconic Bay uh, Medical Center. Um, what about switching gears a little bit? Last year, the the recommended age, uh, obviously, we talked the, about that. But, you know, colonoscopies are one way to really get screened for the colorectal cancer. Do you perform those types of screenings? And how can someone make an appointment, if you can get into that for a sec? Sure, sure. So uh, this is a procedure that I definitely perform. Uh, so we do that, again, for everyone above the age of 45. Sooner, if people have a family history of colon cancer, a first-degree relative with a colon cancer, uh, the way people can actually schedule that, they can call our office at 631-591-2901, and actually they can schedule an appointment. We would actually evaluate the patients, discuss the procedure and uh, have that scheduled. Interesting. Very important right there. Get screened without question. 
coming into the Awareness Month, too. Uh, fascinating conversation. Where can listeners learn more, Dr. Down, about gastroenterology at the PBMC? Where would they go? Yeah, so they can certainly visit our website. Uh, so that would be at pbmchealth.org. So there we have our special, uh, our page uh, for gastroenterology at Peconic Bay Medical Center. They can find all the information there. That's great information. Do you find a, do you find a lot of people uh, on a sidebar here uh, during the pandemic? You know, putting things on hold. Now you're seeing uh, kind of an influx uh, as far as people getting back into play. Yeah, so it's a very good point, actually. So during the COVID pandemic, uh, yeah, it's true that people have delayed care, we ha- uh, and that has led, we, we saw many patients who were admitted to the hospital because of some delayed cares, and they just could not seek care earlier because of uh, the pandemic. It would be harder for them to schedule appointments. Sometimes it they have fear of actually going to a center, going to the hospital, going to outpatient centers where they can be also exposed to COVID. And uh, we see that in our practice, like patients presently with more advanced disease because they were not able to seek care before. Interesting. Doctor, it's been a pleasure. Very important topic of discussion. Gastroenterology. Dr. Ronnie Allen, Donna Bay Medical Center. Jay Oliver here as medical experts. We'll do it again next week. Stay safe. Stay smart. Stay healthy. Views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors.